This is a Podcast 225 production. The issues. What's going on now? What's happening in the state? The people. Carl Dabity. We've got Michael Shingle, Taylor Moore, Jay Darden, Congressman Garrett Gray, Richard Condon. He is Ryan Clark, Sharon Weston Broom. The podcast. And we're going to talk about that. This is the Clay Young Show. Welcome to episode 188 of the Clay Young Show here on podcast225.com. It's on the iTunes Apple Podcast app as well, and it is great to be with you again. Our guest on this edition of the show is East Baton Rouge Parish Sheriff Sid Gotro. Going to talk about that in just a minute, but first up, just want to remind you that you can follow us on social media on Facebook, Clay Young, on Twitter at Clay Young BR, and on Instagram, uh, Clay underscore Young BR. And, um, you know, the timing of these shows often coincide with things that are happening in the news, right? And as I record this opening with you now, it is a day after I sat with Sheriff Sid Gotro. And not long after we finished our conversation, some news broke about an officer being shot and killed in Shreveport, Louisiana. Now, those of you who are listeners to the podcast know that I do work in North Louisiana, specifically in Shreveport, uh, which is in Caddo Parish, and in Bossier City, which is in Bossier. And I'm up there all the time, several times of a year, and have interacted with men and women in law enforcement in Shreveport. I say that to say that it is sad all the way around. Now, as a, ma- as, as a matter of perspective, the sheriff and I do not address the shooting of this officer in the podcast because at the time that we finished our interview, it had not yet happened. And I wanted to tell you that in advance. Our, our conversation is very, very lighthearted, lighthearted. At times, we joke about a great number of things. We do talk about the summer of 2016 in this show and the officers lost. And at the end of the show, we talk a little bit about the officer who was killed less than a year after these officers were shot and killed and, and others wounded in Baton Rouge. But we don't make reference to the shooting in Shreveport that was just terrible. Now, I'm sure, sure by now that you have heard about Officer Shateri Payne, who was a police officer in Shreveport. She died after being shot at least four times, one of those shots in the head. She was an African-American, a young law enforcement officer who had not been on the job very, very long. And in the beginning of the conversation with Sheriff Gotro, we talk about the importance of doing work in the inner city to bridge the gap between law enforcement and the community. We talked about the majority of the citizens there who want the same thing that the rest of us want. That is the ability to be safe in their own homes and to go about their business without being 
a victim of crime. We talked about the small percentage of people there who cause trouble. And they cause great trouble. Now, this story is still pretty new. There aren't a whole lot of details that have been released. So I can't go on off on a tangent about what happened because we don't know at this time what all has happened. But I will say this. That the narrative that goes against police officers is very, very reckless and it is extremely dangerous because it puts law enforcement in a tough spot and it makes many men and women in law enforcement targets of people who don't want to be accountable. Now, we don't know that that is what this is, but this is likely something that was the result of that young lady being targeted or that young lady trying to break up something that was going on and she ended up the victim of crime. She was on her way to work. And so as soon as we know more about this, I do want to address this again, but I'm going to save some of my thoughts until I have full perspective. I think one thing we can all agree on without fail is that it was unnecessary. And this kind of thing is totally unnecessary, even in the inner city. Hell, as I sit and talk to you right now, I'm getting a push notification about someone having just been shot in Baton Rouge. Now, it's the morning as I record this. Now, we could spend a whole lot of time whining about crap that doesn't matter, spend a whole lot of time debating things that have nothing to do with realistic life. All the while, this kind of stuff is happening around us, and there is hardly a ripple in the water about it. That is a bad reflection on our society. So uh, we didn't address this, the sheriff and I, in this interview, and I wanted to make that clear before we did that. And at the end of the show, we have a conversation in studio with Dr. Mary Catherine Rodrigue and the newly minted Dr. Katie Fetzer as they join the show to talk about the return new episodes of the Waiting Room podcast that are going to drop next week, as a matter of fact, here on podcast225.com. So we're going to take a break and then come back and talk with East Baton Rouge Parish Sheriff Sid Gotro. That's next. Promote your business or organization on podcast225.com. Podcast225.com is quickly becoming a weekly tradition for Louisiana listeners. Every month, thousands hear the weekly Clay Young Show. Every week, Clay sits with some of the state's most fascinating and entertaining people. Posting your company's logo on the podcast225.com website or having a professionally produced commercial air on The Clay Young Show is a great way to access a loyal and informed audience. Get more information by calling 225-214-1550. That's 225-214-1550. This is Dr. Mary Catherine Rodrigue. And I'm Katie Fetzer. We're the owners and co-founders of The Wellness Studio, a mental health practice with locations here in Baton Rouge and Covington. We are also your host for The Waiting Room Podcast here on podcast225.com. Our podcast is a journey into the world of mental health. On our show, we're going to discuss some of the various forms of mental health conditions. We're also going to shed light on the various ways our listeners can get a better understanding of how the mind works and why we do what we do. So subscribe today to get the Waiting Room podcast here on podcast225.com, iTunes, and the Talk 107.3 mobile app. 
back with the High Sheriff. Sheriff Sid Gotro of East Baton Rouge Parish, longtime law enforcement executive, police officer, community leader, husband, father, good friend, and this is his first time in the studio, and he got to sign the door a little while ago. How you doing, man? I'm doing great, Clay. Yeah. Glad to be here. Always enjoy being with you. You're not going to hold it against me that you had to get down there to sign oh, the no. door. Oh, no. I mean, I, you know, I, 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 after I saw the door and all the signatures, the only place left for me to sign was at the bottom. Wow. <laughs> I'm going to pay for that one over the course of this conversation. So, man, you know, I, I mentioned earlier in the open about your philosophy on building the bridge between law enforcement and the community. And as long as I've known you, you've been someone who's put such a heavy regard on reaching out to the community all over this parish and touching people. Talk about that philosophy and where it came from. Well, I guess it started uh, with my early years in law enforcement. And, you know, when I started my career with the sheriff's office, I, I worked in the parish prison for a year, and I was a sergeant in uniform patrol, mm-hmm. worked at a central substation. But when I was 29 years old, uh, I ran for chief of police in Baker. And that was where it wound up being my hometown. I, I was born in Baton Rouge. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, the first place I lived in Baton Rouge was on Spain Street, and then <laughs> and then we moved to uh, Olive Street yeah. off Park Boulevard. But I want to tell everybody it was on the poor side of Park Boulevard. It wasn't yeah. on the on the on the, on the <laughs> wasn't on the high no, side. No, wasn't there. on the high side. It was okay. on the lower side. Yeah, but I was on the lower end. Uh, but we moved to Baker uh, when I was in the fourth grade, and uh, Baker was my home. I went. I graduated from high school there. My wife did. Mm-hmm. Uh, our four children did. So, you know, it was home. But anyway, I ran for chief of police in Baker when I was 29 years old. I won back in 1980. And, of course, you know, I was chief of police there in 2007. But having come from a community, you know, just growing up in a community, a smaller community, I knew the importance uh, of, of people just knowing each other and getting and talking to each other and communicating and uh-huh. helping each other. Uh-huh. And I brought that same philosophy into law enforcement. I saw that way back in the 80s, you know, that anything we do, we had to have a connection and a yeah. strong connection with the community. So when I became sheriff, I just brought that same philosophy with me. And, and, it's, and it's simple. You know, we can't, as law enforcement officials and, and as uh, professionals, we can't provide what we want and need to provide to the public without without public input. Mm-hmm. we got to have cooperation from the public. And that's a two-way street. Right. You know, I mean, you, you got to respect on both sides of the fence. Right. And you, and you can't just demand respect. you got to earn respect. And you earn respect not by just what you say, but more importantly by what you do. Mm-hmm. And, and I thought, think it was very, very important for us to, to con- continue in that mode and build upon it. Right. To, to let the people know that, hey, and the sheriff's office has always been very receptive to mm-hmm. the community and the community to it. But I think we've built a stronger relationship over the last 11 years with, with the community. And, we, you know, we started when I took office, the, 
the biggest problem area we had was Gardeer. Right. Uh, at that, Which is, as we sit here on Bluebonnet, where my office is, it's not very far away from here right now. No, that's right. And at that time, when I took office, we had 42% of all of our calls for service came out of the Gardeer area, mm-hmm. which is just unbelievable. So we started with those initiatives right there. I started a, a community policing unit. We right. started bike patrol. Uh, we put our uh, SCAT unit into that area. You know, that's more or less our enforcement unit but the the the, the guys girls were getting out and walking those areas they were mm-hmm. talking to people in those areas you know uh and and that's how you build those those bridges and right. you, and you build that foundation to to work together and you know i'm excited of what uh chief paul's doing right now because mm-hmm. he's he's taking that as well and you know it, it, it's that's what it's going to take and it's not going to happen overnight right but it's but it's a start and i can tell you that since we started the initiatives we still have some problems sure in 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 Gardeer, but we don't have near the problems we had before and our call volume there has gone from 42 percent down to 28 percent which is reflective of our area yeah. so we, we it's pretty much what where we go with other calls you know i remembered because like yourself I, I volunteer and try to help out as much as i can and give back all over really louisiana now but specifically in baton rouge and i remember within the first year or so of you being sheriff one of the things that i heard from a, a community group that's over in the Gardier area was on halloween you put units in neighborhoods there so the children could go out on halloween and be able to enjoy something that maybe children in other parts of the city never think about whether or not they're going to be safe doing it. But in those areas, sometimes you put your children at risk if they're out near or after dark. And putting cars over there allowed people to be assured that they can be out and they can enjoy something as simple as that. And I remember the guy talking about how much it meant and the confidence it gave them. Where did that idea come from? Well, it actually came from my guys who were out there working uh, with the community policing units and mm-hmm. all the stuff that was out there. And, you know, they saw that need. Yeah. And they saw what exactly what you just said and 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 what the people were actually the conditions they were living in. Yeah. And, and, and they wanted to provide that for those children. But it really blossomed yeah. because it started we had you know we have a, a, a we do it at, we was doing it at the Breck gym out yeah. there and then it, it's it's we got on communi- Elvin I believe yeah, it is yeah. It, it, yeah community involvement with the with the uh, homeowners associations sure. and with the uh, business community yeah. with the churches yeah. and it all came together and and we have them all now they're not on the streets on Halloween they're mm-hmm. actually there right. and everybody contributes and we get contributions with candy and things yeah. and stuff for the kids and they really enjoy it and it's gotten to be a real big thing and other people have started and we do other things like that in other areas of the parish as well but but it all started there Gordon. you know it's so interesting when you talked about the trust between both law enforcement and the community and i'd like to ask you to talk about the 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 nature of the dialogue now in the media specifically man it's so toxic and I, I just, 
everybody who lives in the inner city is not a criminal. No. And the majority of people who put on a police uniform, whether it be sheriff's office or city police, are people doing a job with the intention of protecting the people that they serve. Right. That's the majority on both sides. That's but right. we always talk about the small percentage on either side, That's and right. that dominates the news. How hard does that make your job? It makes it extremely hard. It, it makes it tougher, but you don't you lose your resolve. Mm -hmm. You know, you stay focused on the goals, right. and you stay focused on those good people that you do serve. Right. And, and you know, and I, I've said this, and I, you've been out there sure. with us, and, sure. and I've said it when we've been out there. You know, we've been to some of the worst areas that in the parish yeah. and from crime standpoint. Right. And But I, I tell my guys, and I tell everybody, and I'll tell you, the majority of the people that live in those areas, they're good people. Right. They're just. It's like the truth. You. They're and it's the truth. They're just like you and I. Right. And all they want to do is is live in peace and yeah. raise a family. Yeah. It, just like all of us want to do. And and it's that small percentage. Right. That that wreaks havoc on all of them. And 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 Clay, you've been through yep. so many walks with mm -hmm. us through mm -hmm. those areas, and you see how the reception is from the good people right. there, and and the connection that our guys have with them. Absolutely. And and I mean, it's just it just does my heart so good good to know that because i know that we're doing things you know one of the things uh, our our clearance rate on homicides for the sheriff's office we don't have near as many because you know although we have jurisdiction throughout the parish and we uh -huh. work hand in hand with baton rouge city you know we all in the vcu the violent crime unit right which is housed at the state police so our our guys work together with theirs every day right but but you know they have more problems within the city than we have within the parish and that's our primary uh function for for enforcement and in, in all is within the unincorporated areas yeah. but be that as it may we have a lot less homicides in the parish than what what they have in baton rouge but our clearance rate is is, is almost 82 percent now which wow. is way over the national average and so you're and, clearing um, over eight out of ten right crimes or, or things you're, wow that's with, with homicides the national and, average is what oh i think it's down to like 54 percent something wow. like that it's in a 50 percent to what do you attribute that success just the community relation this yeah. relation with the community there's no crime that is committed in East Baton Rouge Parish that someone doesn't know about. Right. You know, they know about it. Yeah. And sometimes they know about it before it even happens. Right. So when those individuals are calling us or calling a particular deputy or whoever and saying, look, I know who did this, the yeah. guy you're looking for. And, you know, a lot of times, the majority of the times, they want to stay uh, anonymous. They don't want anybody knowing who they war right. are, and we do everything in the world to protect them sure. and from that. But that's how we solve these crimes. It's mm -hmm. hard work on our on our on our deputies yeah uh they're committed to whatever they, I, I tell everybody you know it really it really kind of gets under my skin when i hear somebody uh when they talk about a cold case there are no cold cases right. there's just unsolved cases right. and uh, i really uh it aggravates me when i hear somebody say well they're, they're more interested in solving that case than this case mm -hmm. that's not true right you know my guys go out there and they see a victim and right. they see 
hurt and pain right. in a family. Yeah. And they they treat every homicide the same way, and we investigate it the same way. And and that's that's one thing. It's, it's the commitment and dedication that the men and women that serve in that homicide division have and serve in the rest of the department because they get a lot of that information as well. But it's that community relationship. And you've heard me say this so many times, and I'll say this as long as I'm, I'm, I'm sheriff. The late Ronnie Edwards uh-huh. said it best. She said, any efforts on law enforcement are short-lived without community involvement. And she is exactly right. right. That was such a profound statement. Yeah. Because if we don't have that relationship with the public and don't have that trust, we're not going to accomplish what we want. Well, you referenced earlier, and people, I mean, obviously you, you are involved all over the city and not just outside in the in the unincorporated areas of the parish. You, anytime people call you for community events, if it's not you, it's one of your people there representing the sheriff's office. But on these walks that we have done, and we've covered basically every part of the city, and people ask, and I've had people ask me, said, you know, what are y'all doing? I said, really, we're just meeting neighbors and and just talking to people. So you referenced earlier the majority of the people there are just good people who want they want the same thing everybody else wants. For people who don't drive through some of these areas, you could never know how many of the residents there are happy to see law enforcement, who thank law enforcement, and they'll tell us things that are happening in those areas that they want help with. So the assumption that everybody over there is a criminal and doesn't want anything, a lot of people are trapped based upon their abilities and circumstances. And what what I mean by that is some people do not have the capacity because of education or whatever that's happened to them to put themselves in a different spot. And it's easy to say that. You know, pulling yourself up by your bootstraps doesn't mean that at the end of it, you'll end up in the country club. That's right. It's not reality for everybody. No, it's not. But when your guys, what do you tell your guys when you are giving instruction on how you want them to interact with the general public? I want, I tell them to treat those individuals as you would be treating your own family. Okay. You know, uh, and that, that's what I was raised on, Mm -hmm. treating everybody the way you would want to be treated. And I tell my when I the day I hire people and I swear them in, I tell them this. You know, we're public servants, right. and the those of us in law enforcement who are in this profession, uh-huh. there's only one reason to be in this profession, Clay, right? And that's to serve, because that's all we do. Right? We don't manufacture some good or sell some commodity. Right? We all we do is provide a service. Right. And those of us that have a true servant heart and a true servant mentality right. make the best law enforcement officers. And I tell them right then when we hire them, if you're not here for that reason, go do something else because you're not going to be happy. You're going to be miserable because that's all you can do. Right. I mean, you can look at yourself at the end of the day and say, I really made a difference in somebody's life. And that's all it is. When We talk so much about race in society. In fact, uh, it used to be brave. Now it's called truce. And we do this thing at uh, th- that's called a call-in. And I think I think LaDuff missed one, so that makes me the only person who's been to every one of them. That's right. And it, it is a, it's a collaboration between the sheriff's office, city police, the DA's office, the U.S. attorney's office as well. Am I missing anybody? 
I think that's everybody, huh? Well, yeah, and, no, and clergy. clergy. Well, and and, yeah. and they bring and business, in and business, business, business people. Community. So they bring in a bunch of us business guys, people, and they and they bring in kids who are in the system because they they were out causing trouble, and they bring in for the most part young men who are on the bubble. That's right. And they and and the this is really about the young men who are on the bubble, and they come into a courtroom, and the law enforcement contingent speaks to the group and then they give us individuals a chance to speak i think i've spoken at most of them or at least more than half of them and you are somebody who has i've heard you say this before you said here i am i'm a white guy Mm -hmm. he but you tell them but you matter to me that's right and you talk with them about how when you pull a trigger, I've heard you say it on multiple occasions, and that bullet leaves that gun, you can't take it back. That's right. That's right. And I don't think that I don't think that people understand the heavy lifting that goes on. And I, I just said all of this to say this. If we weren't you and Murphy and Hiller and everybody out there, if you weren't in the trenches at least doing what you were doing and those of us who volunteer, man, I don't know how worse it would be because I think it would be a hell of a lot worse. I, I can tell you it'd be a hell of a lot worse. Uh, and, 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 you know, it, it's the truth. You know, I mean, we're not there because we have to be. No. We're there because we Hell no, we on a Tuesday be. night at 8 o'clock, right. I got to listen to Hiller tell his corny, corny jokes in the back there. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna yeah. pay for that one, but that's all right. Well, I'll, 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 I'll echo your sentiments. There, he's so he's pretty bad. Yeah, it, it, yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, but but no, we're there to try to help those young people. You know, right. and 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 you know, Clay. When I first took off as a sheriff, and I, I started seeing all that was going on in East Baton Rouge Parish and Baton Rouge and all, and seeing the problems and and looking at the people that were killing each other and and I, I started really looking at it and I said you know I'm we're talking to these kids on the streets and, mm-hmm. and it's like you know they when when you ask them where are you going to be in five years they'll look at you in the face and tell you I'm going to be dead or in prison and they yeah. and it's, it's no they it's mean, a mean it. it they mean it yeah and and it's such a sad commentary right. to hear that right. and I said well why do they feel that way and I, I looked at myself and you've heard yeah. me do this right. I, and I came up with this triangle analogy that when I was raised and right. how I was raised and that that triangle analogy was this the base of the triangle was my home. Mm-hmm. One side was my school, and the other side was my church. Right. And no matter where I was in that triangle, I had the same message: right over wrong, good over evil, do right. the right thing, no value matter system. what the cause. It was a right. value system. Mm-hmm. And then the circle of influence around that triangle. Right. The 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 positive role models I had, the sports figures that were heroes of mine, you know, just just other men that I saw in law enforcement uh-huh. as a young kid, uh, sheriff's deputies that I looked up to, you uh-huh. know, uh, and and just everything, you know, it was all such positive message. The movies I right. watched, TV I watched, the music I listened to, it was all positive messages. And then when I look at these young people today, and most most of them come from impoverished areas. Absolutely. I mean, you got, and that's a whole other thing we can yeah. talk about there. Uh, but but they, they their triangle virtually doesn't exist. Nope. 
it, the home is broken, yep. and it's usually a single mother or yep. grandmother yep. that's working two or three jobs yep. just to make ends meet. Right. They're not in school and they're nope. not in church. Nope. So they're not getting any of it in that regards. But their circle of influence does exist. Right. You know, the music they listen to, the the role the negative role models they have. Right. You know, I can't tell you how many kids I've talked to and, and want to help them. And they and they'll look at me and say, Well, I want to go take that job. Right. I'm gonna go work forty hours a week. For this amount of money, and I can go sell dope and 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 make that much money in an hour. Right. And and you know economically, you can't even argue that point. Right. All you can do is try to get to their to their to their inner being and right. say, son, there's a better way for this. Right. Yeah, you can do that, but you can wind up dead in the streets, no question. or you can be, or you can wind up living in Angola the rest right. of your life. Right. And where does that leave you? You know, but I don't think they care. They they don't. You know, when, don't. when when the the brazen nature of what's happening now, sheriff, it's you know, it is it. It would have been absolutely something that would have floored you, not more than fifteen years ago. To hear about somebody being shot and killed at one o'clock in the day in this parish, in this town. That's right. It happens so regularly now that people barely pay attention. How did we get there? (sighs) Clay, you know, I I wish I had a complete answer. You know, I think I think there's a lot of people. And one thing is, and I tell everybody, crime is everybody's problem Mm -hmm. there's nobody that lives in east baton rouge parish that can sit and put their head in the sand and say this doesn't affect me right it affects every one of us i don't care if you live in the poorest community Mm -hmm. in this parish or if you live behind a gated community i I don't care It, it, it it crime affects all of us if you don't see it it's affecting your pocketbook anyway that's right whether you if it may not involve what you see when you're pulling into the subdivision or the gated community but the expense that you're paying on the back end because of it it absolutely impacts you absolutely right yeah absolutely correct and you know when you look at like economic drive oh oh, oh, i don't i'm not gonna say economic drivers i'm gonna say when you look at a young family Mm -hmm. that wants to or thinking about moving yeah. to any location. Let's yeah. just say any parish. It yeah. doesn't matter. Or any city. When they when they look at moving there, or a business that looks about opening, or an industry that's right. talking about coming and investing in a community, right. what are the three things they look at? They want to know about crime. They want to know about crime. They want to know about they schools. They want to know about education. Mm-hmm. And they want to know about your infrastructure. Yeah, that's right. And and, and I think yeah. it's in that, that order. Sometimes yeah. they're more interested in education. Than Depending on the age of their children. That's right. Yeah. That's exactly right. Yeah. But if you can't provide those three things to individuals, to young people, or, or to businesses, you're not going to flourish. Why did you never run for mayor? There were people after you for years to run for mayor, and you'd always said you weren't going to do it. And and back when it was hot and heavy, you said you weren't going to do it, and you didn't do it. But it, it, you know, because we talked about it, there were people asking you, saying, right. "Do it." Why'd you never do it? Well, it hasn't been because I haven't been asked to. <laughs> uh, I've been asked to by several people and a lot of people you know. Yeah. Um, and and we've had some deep conversations about it, but Clay. I truly believe that where I am is where God wants me. Uh, it's a calling. 
It's a calling, man. This is not just another job right. for me. It's just not just a. It's a calling. Mm-hmm. Uh, God put me here for this purpose, and and I, and I'm and I'm. I've been so blessed, man. Yeah. You know, to to be where I am now, uh, to be. I mean, you know, look at me. I, I I told you I ran the first time when I was 29 years right. old. Me and Susie had four little kids. We didn't know what was going on. Right. We ran. We won. We did seven turns. I was 28 years there. You know, the last four terms unopposed, and it was because that. I knew what my calling was, you know, and, and I go back and I think about it, you know, and I've been so blessed with my family, with 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 my, my with my profession, with my friends, everything, uh, you know, in my health. I mean, I look back. I had polio when I was a kid, mm-hmm. you know, a young young yeah. child. Uh, they called my daddy back from Korea. They thought I was going to die. Mm-hmm. Well, I made it through that. You know, God brought me through that. Uh, one leg's a little shorter than the other, but I was able to play sports. I right. was able to play baseball, football. You know, I, I was able to do those things, and it hasn't hindered me. You know, uh, it, it might have hindered some brain matter, but, <laughs> but, but I mean, you know, I mean, it's just uh, to be elected at the time I was elected chief of police. Uh, I was the youngest chief of police in the state of Louisiana at that particular time, you know, and and then to be elected sheriff. I mean, I started my career here with the sheriff's office. I love the sheriff's office. I bleed, mm-hmm. and not to diminish any of my feelings or my the things I built built in the relationships I had in Baker. Oh, sure. But but I look at that now, and I'm not saying this braggadocious. I'm mm-hmm. not, but I'm one of only three people to ever have gone through. LSU Basic Training Academy and the the LSU Law Enforcement Institute and be elected class president of both. I'm one of only three. And I'm the only person that's ever served as president of the Louisiana Chiefs of Police Association, the the president of the Sheriff's Association. And I don't say that bragging. You know that. Right, right. But I mean, I'm showing you my blessings. Right. You know, I mean, I just, this is my career. And yes, I, I know, and, and I've had people sit in my office for three hours telling me why I need to run. And really, it's just not something that was on your it's radar. It's just not on my radar. It's yeah. not in my being. Yeah. You know, uh, I, I, I just love what I do. And I love I love working with the people I work with. And, you know, I mean, it, it, I just, I love it. When you look back at all these years, over 40 years, really, really, nearly, yeah, over 40 years altogether yeah. in law enforcement. Are there any things you look back on and you go, man, I wish I could have that one back? Yeah, yeah, there is. There is. I mean, uh, you, you know, you make decisions based on on, on your knowledge and, you, and and on the facts that you have available to sure. you. And, and then you make decisions and, and, and you do things that, that, that you feel is right and you uh-huh. pray about it. And, and you know, but... But there's some things I, I would have done over again, you know. I, 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 but I, it's a learning process. Yeah. When you're in any profession and you get to the part that you say, I'm not learning anymore, and, and just just in the last year or so, you know, I, I've started some things within the office to, to let the, the people in, that work 
in that office have more of a voice and yeah. let them let them tell us what what they feel like they need or what they feel like is wrong or whatever. And I, I wish I'd have done that at a at a. You know, I call myself because I love the office so mm-hmm. much and I love the people that I was taking care of all of those needs. Mm-hmm. But it's too big right. for you to just sit back and say. And, and I, so I'm, I wish that's the only regret I have, really, is I wish I would have started that. Baker was a lot easier. Because it was so I much had, smaller. Yeah, right? I had 40 people yeah. working for me, and I saw them, each and every one of them every day. And and when you got 880-something people working yeah. for you, you're just not going to see them all. Right. You're not going to hear them all. So we started that, and, and we're working on things, and, and – the people seem to be happy with it and you know you got to have that communication with your with your folks is rather just like you have to have that communication with 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 the citizens you know it's it's kind of crazy to say but when you think back now to 20 uh july 17th uh of 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 2017 uh 20 god 2016. 2016. I'm just sitting here thinking about it because we're in a new year now. It just kind of throws me off sometimes. Um, you're moving on three years, okay? Yeah. And the night after this took place, it was a Monday night, I remembered being in Shreveport and somewhere around midnight, you and I ended up on a phone call. And, um, you know, it's much like 9-11. Over time, people remember where they were, but the emotion kind of dissipates a little bit. In that first year or so, in a year, you can almost go right back to what you felt. And as time goes on, it's just more of kind of where you are, what you were doing. That entire month changed Baton Rouge. Will never be different. From what happened on July 5th, to 12 days later what happened and that's right when so at this point where you are now because I got a series of questions when you think about July 17 of 16 the first thing that pops into your head is what pain pain you know just uh, it's something that I'll never it'll never leave me um you know, in all my years in law enforcement, I had had guys that were injured in the line of duty, whether it was in a car wreck or stabbed or shot, whatever. Mm-hmm. But I never lost anybody. And uh, to lose those men was, that's been the toughest thing in my career. And it's something that I will never forget, nor should I ever forget. Uh, but that was the toughest thing in my career. And I hope and pray it never happens again. And uh, But, you know, I know the nature of this business, God forbid, but it could happen tomorrow. You know. Uh, but I saw... Let's go back. We had the Alton Sterling... Sh- shooting and it really splintered the community and there was so much going on with that 
and we were trying to work through that because we really had never been faced with anything like that. And we were working through it, trying to work with the community, which we did, and the community worked with us, and I'm very proud of that because if you looked at what was going on in the nation at the time, we didn't have what they had in other parts of the country. And the, right. and the national media came here, but they wasn't seeing what they wanted to see. We didn't have people rioting and looting and burning cars. And, you know, we, we didn't. In all of those demonstrations, you know, we, we I mean, <laughs> it was never anything. Not on the brink of that. That's right. Nothing even close. But they didn't want to report on that. Right. They, because it wasn't. It wasn't what they wanted to, uh-huh. to see. But we got through that. And, you know, I w- that's the year I was president of the Sheriff's Association, and we were having our uh, my convention, actually, in Lake Charles uh, the weekend. Uh, well, it was, you know, after— the weekend of the, of the shooting uh-huh. of not Alton You still Sterling, struggle with that, right? I do. I do. And I, I told my wife, and I said, look, you go on over to Lake Charles. This was Friday, and yeah. I was supposed to go Friday because yeah. we get there early when you're, the, when you're president, you got things yeah. to do. And I told Mike Renatz, our executive director, I said, Mike, I'm not coming. I said, things are calm, but I said, I just, I just got to make sure everything's all right. And... Uh, he said, I fully understand that. So our convention was actually supposed to start, really start that Sunday. Uh-huh. And uh, I told him, I said, Mike, depending on how things go, I might just have to come to get sworn in or whatever and go back. I can't stay for it. But I sent Susie and family over there. And uh, so that Saturday, that Saturday afternoon, uh about nine o'clock that night, everything had been calm. It had been uh-huh. calm Friday night. Uh-huh. It was calm Saturday night. Uh-huh. We had no problems. In fact, we didn't have right. hardly any problems during that week, from from the middle of the week on. The intensity of some of the, uh, you know, I call them more gathering than protests because right. of the way That's people right. are. Because they were, and I always tell people this: that when kids were gathered together outside of city police headquarters on Airline Highway at the end of the night. There were kids bagging up the trash that was on the street and leaving garbage bags. Right. I mean, that that's to, to give you an idea of the respect the people out there had for this city. That's what was going on. But by we, the time we got to that weekend, I think you're right, that it was it was a lot calmer. Some of the some of the intensity had subsided. It, it certainly had. And and I made the decision late Saturday night that, hey, I think um, thank God it looks like everything's going to be all right. And so I'm going on to Lake Charles. So uh-huh. I went to Lake Charles, got there about 1030 uh, Saturday night. And, of course, phone rings 8, 830 the next morning, and I got the news. And, of course, I immediately left, right. came back. I went straight to the Lady of the Lake uh, Hospital uh, and found out exactly what yeah. had taken place. And, of course, my colleagues uh, – I, and I, it was out of respect as mm-hmm. well, but and and I love them all for it. But they they immediately there wasn't even any question about it. they canceled our convention and sure. everybody went home, and and but Clay, that was just such a tough time to see. It's not only 
our guys we lost with those Baton Rouge City Absolutely. officers. And to see, you know, all those young yeah. families, yeah. young wives, yeah. you know. All of them, all of them had relatively young children. Right. Uh, you know, Brad's children at the time were the oldest of the three officers that we lost because right. Montrell's son was not much more than an infant and Matt and uh, Desha had younger children, but they were all really, really young, young children. Really young. You're right. And But you know, it's, it's just amazing how God works. Yeah. Because to me, but between all of that, it was like the community really came no together. Question. I mean, I've they've come to they came together like I've never seen them come together before. I think people basically said, "This is not who we are." No, it's not who we were. It's this is not yeah. who we are. Yeah. And I attended every one of those funerals. Yeah. And to be in that procession and seeing every one of them. Mm-hmm. People lined up mm-hmm. all the way, yep. you know, every intersection, you know, uh, and, and it, it was black and white. It was people. Yeah. It was people. Yeah. It was a, a true reflection yeah. of the community. And, you know, I mean, <laughs> you know, it just it warmed my heart. I mean, it, it still is a it's still emotional to me to to remember how this community came together right. like that. And then, of course, after that. You know, what mother so later? Well, but but we, we had but, the flood. But even you know? even with that, I remembered the because the, the man's still fighting to to achieve whatever level of normalcy he can. Nick Toulier right. is over in Houston right That's now, right. and you know, and and you know you periodically hear and his family is there with him, his father, his mother, his fiance, and you know he's got a couple of boys, I believe, sure. a couple of sons. And, you know, everything after that and then with him leaving and, 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 I, and I've seen, seen Nick there in Houston. I want to get back over there. In fact, I was texting with James over the holiday. And when people see him, it is a reminder for me of how deplorable right. people can be because of what this young man did to those men. He wasn't even from here. No, wasn't even from here. And I think when you learn about the time, like Jeff Ledoff said to me you know, sometime not long after, they said, however the, long, the drive is, six hours, whatever it is, said he, he had to drive all that way. That's right. And all that time knowing he was going to do that and not one time along the way did he think to himself, I can't go do this. Why would I go do this? That's right. He intended to do it, came here, did it, sat in the hotel room, traced over the the wasn't really a suicide letter it was kind of a manifesto of hate that he and it's and i don't get that and so now when you see nick fighting to get to some normalcy and i could tell people talking to james you know he's he is he is sold out committed to his boy but he i've never heard him be bitter anger absolutely because you better Right. Freaking well know that I would be angry if it was one of my kids. That's right. And and I'm not going to apologize for that because you want the best for your children. And so you see that emotion and what that man is fighting with and, and how we kind of dealt with that. Then August comes and we have the worst natural disaster in the history of the capital city. You thought Gustav was bad? Gustav had nothing on those floods. No, that was our Katrina. It was our Katrina. And then you saw 
black people, white people, South Baton Rouge, North Baton Rouge, everybody pitching everybody. in, making food, helping people rip out sheetrock. And when people think about 2016, rarely do they bring that up. No, I know it, but it, but it, but it's the truth. I mean, that was even a affirmation of what I'd seen uh, doing those funerals and everything. Right. I mean, when that happened, it was just, it was just like you know, God's telling us, yeah. you know, you are my people, and you are going to come together. Right, and we did. Had no choice. No, we had we had no choice. But talking about, mm. and I see it up here. You got you got Nick Tuye Strong, a miracle in progress. That's right. That is absolutely a miracle. Toughest man and, I think I've ever seen and, in my and, life. Oh, he has the heart of a lion. And, uh, you know, for where, what his family has gone through and, and what they've done, their commitment to their son yeah. is just unbelievable. Yeah. And, you know, there's it, no question the power of prayer here. Uh, there's no question. Mm -hmm. And every time I talk to James, text message mm -hmm. or even whatever, he always tell him. I said, I'm a, I'm praying. He said, keep praying, keep yep. praying. And that's what I tell everybody when they ask me about Nick, keep praying. Yeah. Uh, it is a miracle that he is still with no us. No question. Uh, you know, because, I mean, I was there at that hospital. Yeah. And, you know, I know what the doctor said. Uh, they didn't give him overnight. Yep. Then it went from, well, next week. Then it went to 10 days. Then it went well, maybe, maybe a month, maybe three months. And now we're... Two and a half years. Yeah, two and a half years. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I just keep praying that he, he will get to a point where he... He, he he has some, some it's in God's hands that's right. and his that's family right. is committed to him that's right. and that's there you know and, and and moving closer to where we are now you know and, and this question pops into mind because you talked about how long you've done it you know running for sheriff all the uh, for police chief all those years ago and then running for sheriff 11 going on 12 years ago how much longer you want to do this well I want to continue as long as I know God, this is where God wants me, and this is what the people want, uh, then I, I intend to tend to stay here. Uh, and I tell everybody every day, I thank God for giving me the ability to serve and the people of this parish for giving me the opportunity to serve. But they will come a time when I will know that my time is done, uh, and you won't see me uh, trying to squeeze blood out of a turnip that's okay but then you, you know. won't be home long i think after about a month there Susie will have you shaking hands in the walmart <laughs> I can tell door you, i can tell you i'll be doing something <laughs> be greeting people at walmart over in zachary or somewhere look i'm gonna tell you a real quick story about that when i was chief of police in baker i worked at walmart detail in baker and uh and it was one reason i worked it they gave you employee discount <laughs> And 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 that look, Susie would give me a list of stuff to bring home when I was working, and I never got a paycheck from Walmart. <laughs> I mean, right. I was just giving That's back. Right. And then when I became sheriff, she said, "What about Walmart?" I said, "What about Walmart?" She said, "Well, you gonna keep work?" I said, "I oh, absolutely not. I'm the sheriff now. I don't have to work Walmart." But she would, if it had been up to her, I'd still be working at Walmart. Well, when too. you finish this job, you might be shaking hands over there That's, at Walmart. That's right. Hey, let's talk about some football. All right. So um, I have a little bit of a problem with some of the conversation going on right now. I got a yeah. few things I'm gonna throw at you. One. I don't particularly like the fact, and you're probably going to disagree with me here, I don't like the fact that people say Alabama-Clemson playing four years or three years in a row and, and the playoffs, you know, I think 
before then is a bad thing for college football. And I'm going to tell you why. Nobody handed out invitations for them to be in that game. They earned it. That's right. right. And I think because we hadn't beaten them here in a very long time, and you and I were on the sidelines here earlier, uh, well, last Last year, year. and ain't nobody giving them nothing. And Clemson went in there and tore the hide off the bark, and they earned it. So I don't like people saying that it's bad for college football. You got the same two teams because it's sports. You, know, you Everybody had a, sh- a chance to beat them. Everybody has an opportunity to go out and recruit. Everybody has an opportunity to, to, to hire what coaches they there you go. Like uh, now, is it is it come down to money with some schools? Yes, sure. Some some schools only have so much money. They well, can that's put right. Into their program. That's a so, legitimate case so, to make. Yeah. So so the the elite programs, right. They're like you know LSU, A and M, Florida, Florida, Georgia, Georgia, yeah. Alabama, Clemson. Mm-hmm. They're, they they've got money. Right. They've, they've got the facilities to right. attract those those elite players, but. You know, it, it's just it's just a it's a fact of life. Right. You know, we all don't live in, in a mansion. You no. know, we, we live where where our means right. take us. Right. And it's the same thing in that. But I agree with you 100 okay. percent, Clay. I, no, they I, earned I it. I don't take they earned it. Right. They earned it and they worked for it. Right. Now, when you look at Nick Saban and you look at Dabo Sweeney, you're looking at two different no philosophies. <laughs> but, but but there's an understatement. I mean, it's just two different individuals Man. completely. Uh, Nick is completely uh, 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 X's and O right. uh, guy. He he he's he's a, it's about the business right. in the football. Right. Where Dabo uh, and and you know he, he he I think he thanked God more than anybody else. Oh man, he, you know, brother, and, he could have asked for a collection after his post game speech. That's, that's right. But he is sold out in his faith, and that's I do right. not think he's a phony. I think no, he's legitimately he, he's believing legitimate. it. He he's legitimate, and those kids know it. Yeah, and, and there's an atmosphere in Clemson. Yeah, that when kids go there, it's just like that kid from Alabama that was yeah. going to Alabama yeah. to visit Clemson, and he says there was just something about it. There was just something that struck me that that I just I liked what I saw. Man, I like what I felt. That that that's what it's all about. That's what, and yeah. everybody has that opportunity. Yeah, listen, you know, I just sometimes still pinch myself thinking about. Clemson of all teams is up here doing this right now. Clemson, right? The baby tigers. Clemson, (laughs) when I was a kid growing up, and Clemson was when they started giving the scores on the radio of all the teams, you you may have mentioned Clemson one time, and it was at the end of the deal. Right. You know, it wasn't, and they didn't repeat the score, you know, but but Clemson. They've earned it. They've earned it. They've earned it. Nothing has been given to Alabama. Nope. Nothing has been given to Clemson. They've worked on it. They've 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 earned what they have. Two different styles, right. two different coaches, two different philosophies, but it works. So let's talk about nothing has been given. I said on on uh, on social media a couple of weeks ago that I think Ed Ogeron should be the SEC coach of the year. And the case I make is this. In June of 2018, if you and I had been sitting down somewhere and I said to you, Sid, LSU's going to win 10 games, one of them being a bowl game over a major school, you'd have drug tested me right then. That's exactly right. <laughs> you just, Wait a minute, Clay. Hold on. You're yeah. on the hooch or something? It's yeah. like, so no shot. 
Yeah. Actually, number four in the country at one point. That's right. Beat now as as it what four or five top ten teams because UCF was seven. That's right. You see, yeah. So why is he not coach of the year? Why why shouldn't he be considered coach of the year? Well, I don't know because I agree with you. I think he should be the coach of the year because going into this season, five and, six as wins as much as yeah, I thought. Yeah. yeah, five or six wins. Yeah. That was all local talk. We're not yep. going to win more than five or right. six games, even from our our sports people right. here in Baton Rouge. And that's and you, Richard Condon. Yeah, Richard, you, you were. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but 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 nobody nobody thought that. No. And quite frankly, a lot of fans just didn't think that. And legitimately but, so, legitimately, though, you just expected. Right. It wasn't good. It's it wasn't that people were being down on him. It's just no. you didn't have a whole lot of expectation. That's not. That's exactly right. But but when you looked at that and you saw that, and then on the national level, the, the, a few of them said, "Well, they may win seven games." Yeah. But look what they did. Look what they Man. did. And and look at the teams they beat. And there's undoubtedly, if you beat nobody, Florida, you're talking eleven wins. That's right. And should have beat, Florida. beat Florida. Florida. So now we're talking. 11 wins. That's right. But but you know all of those people that didn't give and and but they but all of them are saying the same thing. Right. All of the talking heads are saying the same thing. LSU had the toughest schedule in, in, no in, in football about it. this year. No doubt the about toughest, it. The toughest. No doubt. They beat they beat what four or five top 10 teams. They beat two other teams that went to top 25. I mean, had to go on a road at first game. And look, you, and listen if you think about it, if the referees don't screw us in the A and M game, now you're talking twelve wins. You beat Florida. You're supposed That's because right. that game was clearly the game of the year. That That's game right. ended after midnight on the East Coast. That's right. That's right. You know, and, and you know, I, they say, well, you can't look at where a team is at the end of the year, and you played them at the first of the year. If you right. played number three at the first of the year and you beat them, you beat number three. You beat number three. You beat number That's three. That's the way it is. You know, I mean, <laughs> yeah. But, oh, well, look what they've done since. They got beat three more times. I don't care. You walked into That's their exactly stadium right. and beat them when they were number three. I thought it was crazy to play Miami and and, and at game number one right. in Arlington. I was like, who the hell right. set this up? That's but right. it turned out to be okay. And now, you know, going into next year – Nobody knows what's what. You know, Dave Aranda is going to have a defensive squad that's ready to play ball. Totally. Who knows who the AC is going to OC is going to be next year? I don't know. That's you think right. Ensminger is going to be back? I hope he's back. I hope he's back. I, I think. I think what you you know he's part of their success. This sure. Year. And and you saw Joe Burrow really come into his own. Yeah. At the end and in this last game he was phenomenal. Yep. And he is a leader. Uh, he he he's. If not, that wasn't a dirty hit, I don't know what a oh dirty yeah. hit is. Oh yeah, he he's a leader. Uh, the the guys gravitate to him. Yeah. Is is he a Tua? No, he's not a Tua. <laughs> who is? You know, who well, is Tua, Tua wasn't Tua on you know, Monday. Is, is he is he the guy from Clemson? No. No. But he is a good quarterback that can get the job done. I think so. And I I think you know and Ed Orgeron. Uh, I can tell you, I, I, I think the world of him. The I do man too. loves Louisiana. No he loves LSU. No he leads purple and gold. No he question. loves those kids, and yep. those kids love him. Yep. And I can tell you, I've been at practice. And I've been at practice through all the other coaches that's been there just about. Yeah. And I've been close enough to watch mm -hmm. and listen. And I can tell you, there's n he's cut practice time down. Yeah. 
but he gets as much or more done no in that doubt. shorter amount of time because I'm going to tell you right now, there is no wasted second in practice. There's nobody waiting on a football. Yeah. There's no it, That whistle blows. Yeah. They know exactly where to go. There's nobody just lollygagging around. They, if you're not out there, you're listening and watching. And, and I mean, it's something going on all the time. So here's the thing. For people who haven't had the, the, the blessing or the honor, honor to be close enough to him and his element is you see what's on ESPN. You see him doing these press conferences where he's always go Tigers at the end of it, the whole thing. And you may assume that there a isn't a whole lot of intellect or that he's just this player's coach. Who's just loving to be liked. Uh Uh-uh. If you don't do your job and it doesn't matter who you are from coaches to starting, whatever you better do your job That's right. because that dude is not going to cut you any slack. No, not at all. Holy cow. You do your job. And whether you're a coach, assistant oh, coach, oh. whether you're a player, you do your job. And I and mean, you, you see how he gets when he's up to level nine or ten, and it's like, yeah, yeah, you, yeah, you don't want any problems with that yeah, guy. That's right. <laughs> and, and no team is – no one – you might build a team around one or two players. Yeah. Because you got to go with what you have to work with and right. what, what, what their abilities are. But, but no one person – is gonna you don't, you're not gonna win or lose on just one person. Got to be a team. It's got it's a team. That's yeah. why it's a team sport. That's why they call it a team. And 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 he realizes that. You know, I love his deal. When when somebody gets injured, the sports guys they want to put that microphone. Oh, what about this injury? How's it gonna impact you? Next man up. Next yep. man up. You know, and that's what that's happens. the way it's supposed and to that's work. That's a philosophy yes. that those kids know yeah. that if when my numbers call, yep. I better be ready. That's exactly I right. Better be ready. And I think that's important. And and you know, again, those boys love him. Oh, they do. They really do. They love him. And yeah. I mean, and at the Alabama game, there's a funny story. I just told this story yesterday. So in the locker room, in walks Eric Dickerson, Marshall Falk, and Ricky Jackson. The three of them at the same time, they That's walk right. in together. That's right. Devin White is sitting on a bench talking to one of the coaches. Over in the corner, just around the corner, is the actor Vince Vaughn standing over That's there right. staring at the television watching ESPN. And so one of the coaches is joking with Devin White, and he says, uh, you think you could catch him? And he's pointing at Eric Dickerson. <laughs> and Devin said, I could catch anybody. <laughs> and in my head, I'm thinking, you could probably catch him today. Yeah. But about 25 years ago, That's right. nobody was catching Eric That's Dickerson. Right. But yeah. it's interesting how many pro football and celebrity people want to be in that building when there's a big game. That's right. Why do you think That's that right. is? Because it's LSU. Oh. It's LSU. And there's a tradition with LSU. There, and, and you know, God knows, and, and you on that sideline. And, and, and I'm. That was a trip to the woodshed. But yeah, it was. But hopefully, but, but, after what? No, we'll talk about that after the a, show. Tiger Stadium yeah. is a magical place. Yeah. There's no other football stadium yeah. like it. There's some that come close. And, and you know Brian Denny, it can get loud in there. Yeah. You know, there's other, there's other, other, there's no question about it. And and I'm a SEC guy. Yeah. I'm yep. a SEC guy all the way. Yep. You know, even even if it's our arch rival when they're playing for a title or something, I'm a pull for them. Yeah, I was rooting and, for Alabama. You know, in that people game. people yeah. say, "Man, I can't believe you're pulling for Saban." Saban didn't leave nah. LSU to go to Alabama. No, nah. Saban left to go to the pros, yep. and it didn't work. And I'm just telling you. 
we I feel like we could have had him back here if if but there yeah. was too many facts. Why, why are you oh, want to start some us. stuff? Right I there? I don't well, care. I ain't gonna start. I won't start anything. <laughs> I won't even start anything. But you know, it all happens for a purpose. Yeah. And we got Ed Argeron. Yeah. And when we got Ed, what did, what were you hearing from people? Oh, we need to go out and get a big name. We're gonna get big. Well, some of the big names they talked about are that flopping. year. Or, yeah, or, yeah. Or some of them's been fired already. Yeah, yeah. So you know what? What other big name do you need for a guy to build a program? Give him his opportunity because mm-hmm. he's building the program. Right. He's building the program. You know, he. I was at um, the governor's prayer breakfast year before last, and he spoke, and he told the story about how when he was doing recruiting trips, how he would be on I ten. Yeah. And he'd be driving and he'd look over at Tiger Stadium and he'd say, one day. <laughs> yeah. And he said he'd come back, going back the other way, going east. He'd look one day and he said his wife would say, you better stop. You're going to kill somebody. And he said when he was at USC and because he, he learned about commitment, the the whole staff gets fired and he's on the recruiting team and. He's in the airport, and he said he, you know, he's going out visiting parents, and 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 people are, what are you doing? It's like, Did, didn't y'all all get canned? It's like I'm still getting a paycheck. I'm going to do my job, and he said he's at the airport, LAX, and Pete he sees Pete Carroll, and they talk, yeah, and Pete's like, what are you, Ed, what are, what are you doing? And he said, uh, well, you know, I'm recruiting. I got appointments to go see people. And it's like, well, I, I, aren't y'all all done? He said, I'm still getting paid. I'm going to do my job. That's right. And so he didn't know that Carroll was on his way to interview for the head coaching job. And one of the things that Carroll said, based upon seeing that work ethic is, I know one person I want on my team. And it was Ed. And obviously Ed ends up, I think, interim after mm-hmm. Pete Carroll, when, mm-hmm. when you know Pete went on. Yeah. And it's just that he gets the importance of doing work. That's it. That's it. And he never stops. And he eats and he eats and breathes it. You no know, question. I love my job. Yeah. I love my job. Yeah. But I, I love the duck hunt, too, you know. <laughs> but not – Ed Ogeron, he doesn't hunt or fish. Man. It's all football. That man. is it. It's all football. I don't even know if he plays golf. but Probably it, not. If he did, it would probably be a benefit for LSU. If he probably. Playing, but Or something. But I but bet he he'd is, be a hell of a good time out there, though. You know, I mean uh, – yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but uh, you know, I mean, he is just—he's just—he he, to me, uh, he's just a perfect fit for LSU. Right. And if people give him time, he's he's building us a program right now. And uh, you know, I, I just I think there's some good things for LSU in the future. Who's gonna win the Super Bowl this year? Saints, baby, Saints. You really believe that? I believe it. I I, I believe they got a shot. You know, I don't have I, the, I don't think, have the crystal ball. So. I can't, I agree with you. Yeah. If I had to pick one team right now, that's right. I would say the Saints. But their biggest challenge is probably this weekend. It's, it's going to be because this the weekend. Eagles. Are, the Eagles are coming in playing with house money. That's right. That's exactly. They're right. on the road. They won one playoff game, that's right. and Nick Foles is playing like it really doesn't matter what happens. That's right. That's right. I watched that game. Holy cow! And, uh, uh, my now sister- I blame the kicker. Now if the kicker had done his job. Yeah. The Eagles would have been going home. Yeah. But they just. I I think they're playing with house money. Yeah, I think I think you're exactly right. And let me say why it's not just wishful thinking mm-hmm. to say, "Oh, I'm the Saints," but uh, uh, the Saints I think have a legitimate a legitimate shot. Now, when when Dallas beat us over there, 
they exposed some weaknesses in, yeah. in the Saints, and and people have exploited it since. Yep. But the Saints have corrected yep. those weaknesses, and in the last couple of weeks, they got they got back on their game, so to speak. But this is why I say what I said uh, that I think think it'd be the Saints. When you go to anybody else's house, to right play, there it is. They that's gotta, the X they factor. Gotta, that's it, right? They got a decided yeah. advantage. Yeah, they got a decided advantage. When you go in that don't Superdome, <laughs> you're in another world. There is no place like it left. Yeah, with maybe Kansas City. Yeah, but overall, the coming to that dome. Yeah, I don't envy anybody. There's only one other place that could be have that kind of atmosphere. Where's that? Green Bay. Well, the yeah. reason they will never do yeah. it because they're never going to leave Lambeau Field yeah. and they're never going to cover that field. Well, and, and they're not going to do it. First of it's all, tradition. It's, it's tradition. not only a loud stadium in December. If you're there deep into the playoffs, it's probably three degrees. That's right. Or negative right. thirteen degrees. That's right. It's kind of hard to go do that. That's exactly right. Our final question for you: When people look at the contribution Sid Gotro has made to law enforcement and to his community, you want their reflection to be what? That he's a people person, that he really cares about what he's doing, and and really cares about trying to make a difference and has made a difference. That's what I hope. At the end of the day, I hope people look at me and say, you know, he did what he said he's going to do, and he's treated he's fair, and he's treated treated people fair and that's that's all i can ask for you know that's all i can ask for i want to leave the sheriff's office when i do better than i found it and i know i'm going to do that if i left today i know i've done that mm-hmm. but but and but i'm still i still the same things i want to I do and i hope i'll get that opportunity to do them but but when i leave that's that's the most thing you know clay and i'll just say this i use this real quick one of the things that make me make me feel warm inside is when I see somebody that I might have went to high school with or somebody I hadn't seen in 20 or 30 years and you know they'll tell me they said you're the same person you were <laughs> I am this I don't because I am sheriff of East Baton Rouge Parish and I know I know what that means right I know what that means right. but I don't let that go to my head. You know, I'm just another person and I'm and I'm blessed to be where I am and I just want to try to make a difference and try to make everybody's uh improve people's quality of life. That's all. And and if if the end of the day they look at me and say, you know, you you real, you care and you and you and you, you treated everybody fairly. That's all I can ask for. Don't be a stranger. Oh, I'm, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. You and I had the occasion several, several months ago to go eat one of our, both of our favorite foods. Sea bass, bass. baby. Sea bass. Yeah. And you said, we're going back. Yeah. When we going back? Oh! You threw me under the bus. No, 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 no. No, well, we need to do it, man. We've been, it's it's been like three years, I think. That is a hell of a piece of fish, man. Oh, it's it's delicious. And by the way, just call it, it's at Ruth's Chris. If you're ever in Baton Rouge, I know you're going to go to Ruth's Chris, you think steakhouse, steakhouse. Trust me, get the sea bass. Sea bass is outstanding. And I want to do, I just want to say this, Clay. How long I've been knowing you now? 
since I've been sheriff. Yep. Going on 12 years. We need more people like you in our community. Uh, I, I mean, I sincerely mean that, my friend. Uh, you, your heart's where it should be, and, and you love Baton Rouge, and you love Baton Rouge's people, and I appreciate what you do. Thank uh, you. Because you've been a voice of calm and reason throughout the, everything that we've been through. And, you know, I, I just hope and pray that we never have another year like we had in 2016. Amen. And of course, you know, right after that, I lost another deputy, Sean yep. Anderson. And uh, then we had our own flood. You yep. know, our building floods yeah. out of yeah. there right. at, 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 the, at the airport, and we just got back into it. But uh, that was arguably the worst year that the sheriff's office has ever had, and it's over 200 year history but hopefully hope and pray good lord doesn't put more on us than we can handle and 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 hope we never have to go through that again and you know becky anderson talked about sean we not even a year later losing sean anderson and becky's still out there she's still teaching she's still (laughs) committed in the community doing what she does over there in livingston parish and god bless to her and her kids they're getting older and bigger so oh yeah i went to watch uh her daughter in a basketball game at Zachary, and she's a good little athlete. Is she really? And she was playing hurt that day. She had she had a, a, a bad ankle. That's what athletes she, yeah. do, man. Oh yeah, she was playing hurt. <laughs> Give my best to Susie. Oh uh, well, you do the same to your missus. I'll do it. It's manners in a minute, presented by Manners of the Heart. We meant well, but we served our children a dangerous diet of self-esteem. We overpraise our kids for so-so efforts, give them way more than they need, and let them think that a meal of I, me, and mine is right and natural. This week, we've explored how and why emphasizing self-esteem can cause children to become self-centered, arrogant, and insecure. Does that sound like a recipe for your children's happiness? It doesn't take much thought to see how those traits will not serve your children well in adulthood. But when you build self-respect, you raise children to be others-centered, humble, and confident. You teach them to do their best so they receive satisfaction from a job well done. And you equip your children to become disciplined, caring, productive, and respectful adults. With honesty and consistency, we can give our children what they really need and want, self-respect. Executone of Louisiana has been helping businesses in Baton Rouge save money on their telecommunications for over 40 years. Executone will help businesses upgrade their phones and intercom systems, save money, and never have to worry about local customer support. Doctors' offices, hospitals, schools, businesses, it doesn't matter. All kind have depended on the good people at Executone to upgrade technology and save money. I have a question for you. Do you like saving money? Sure, of course you do. Here's another one. Do you want to keep the most up-to-date phone and intercom technology while saving money. That's what it's all about. That's a no-brainer. Don't get sucked in by out-of-town companies who are not here if you need technical support. Executone has been here, and they believe in the value of customer service, baby. Don't take my word for it. Give them a call, 225-295-3500. That's 295-3500. Oh, look them up. ExecutoneLA.com. Executone of Louisiana. They still here, and they're going to continue to give you great service. Well, guess who's back in studio, and she's already stepping on the intro after all this time. I mean, you know, somebody becomes a doctor, MK, and and she just, you know, she can't behave. Civility's out the window. I mean, really, you cannot take her anywhere. 
What's up, ladies? Hello. Hello. Happy New Year. Happy How New are y'all? Year. Happy New Doing Year. Well. Happy New Year. So let's not bury the lead there, Dr. Fetzer. <laughs> <laughs> How does it feel? It feels great. It feels really, really, really good to be done. Man, so Dr. Mary Catherine, Dr. Katie, Doc and Doc, right? That's just, that works for me. Live on tour. And the, the, the 2019 Waiting Room series is beginning again. Uh, yes. You know, you guys, I'm, I'm sure got great feedback. I've gotten great feedback on the yes. show. So what are we looking forward to this year in terms of shows? You know, I think that what we are really excited about um, this year is we want to be able to offer people a place to be able to kind of just listen where they can get very informed and, you know, evidence information about just a varying life issues mm-hmm. and concerns. And so right. we hope it to be kind of like a hub that people can go to where you might look through the episodes and there might be one on goal setting, for example, or relationships. And so we really are looking forward to kind of the diversity of topics, I think. Yeah. Yeah, And I think thinking outside of the box to bring content that is really relevant, but still rooted in the foundations of mental health and just those continuous themes that, that just are in every facet of our life, but looking at them from a different lens that I think is much more modern, um, and, and being talked about maybe like on a social platform, Mm -hmm. but we can kind of bring it here and dive deeper. So it'll be, and you know, with some cool guests along the Mm -hmm. way. It's interesting because when we were talking about this, this is going into the third year of you guys doing podcasts and I think discussions about mental health Mm -hmm. have become more prominent because of some of the things that have happened in society, right? Yeah, Yeah, I agree with that. So it gives you a resource to be able to say, I mean, because you guys have talked about shows like, you know, what, how social media impacts Mm -hmm. the person and then, Mm -hmm. you know, the business atmosphere there. There's a plethora of things that you can get into in mental health. You'll never run run out of material. No, and it's such a, so true. And I think it also illuminates too that those that are trained in mental health and work in mental health have a different informed perspective it's more like the paradigm or the lens that we look through uh-huh. and see the world and that we have this understanding of how the brain works right mm-hmm. and so it's a very unique way of looking at something right. or looking at a problem um, that we find to be valuable mm-hmm. well I'm, I'm excited about yeah. it getting getting back into the groove of things I mean we can't really go into details about this until when your show drops next week, but we've got two other shows coming uh, to podcast two, two, five, in addition to this show and the waiting room podcast. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's really going to, and it's going to cover a a wide spectrum of things. And so we're all excited about it, but waiting room is returning and I cannot wait. So what are you guys talking about on your show next week? We will being that it is 2019. We are only, I guess a week or so into the new year. We'd figured we'd, start about a talk start talking about starting fresh and Mm -hmm. kind of having that reset button that sometimes people feel so overwhelmed by when they hear the word resolution or Mm -hmm. when they hear the word you know goal setting or um so we're really going to kind of break that down and have hopefully have people feel like they have access to be able to press the reset button more easily and attainably. Okay. So I'm just going to take advantage of the situation to be sitting in here with you right now and throw out the first question for a show like that. All right. Mm -hmm. Totally putting y'all on the spot, which is entertaining to me. Uh, (laughs) Don't you think sometimes people can set themselves up Mm -hmm. for major disappointment when they choose resolutions that are wholly unrealistic. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. That's actually one of the things we would talk about because it is one of the most common pitfalls for why 
resolutions just don't work or don't stick is right. that goals are set kind of like haphazardly <laughs> and they are not usually very realistic and right. so that's why they fail. Um, and there needs to be more intentionality and motivation behind what you're trying to achieve sure. and less just, you know, knee jerk right. reactions or response. If you have trouble climbing the stairs at the office, you probably shouldn't set a goal to climb Kilimanjaro <laughs> sometime in 2019. Yeah, there you, you know? go. Yeah. I'm just saying. Right. Yeah, All right, right. The Waiting Room Podcast, you'll be able to check out episode 28. 27, 27, episode 27 on podcast225.com. It drops next week. Two shows a month, but the first of 2019 will be next week with Dr. Mary Catherine and Dr. Katie. So proud (laughs) of y'all. Thank you. (laughs) Thanks for listening. Join us next week for another edition of The Clay Young Show.